Welcome to Dragon Talk. Yeah. Yeah. Dragon Talk. Whoa. Wow. Puppy came excited for this one. We're interviewing his favorite author today. And it's a special shout out to the person who uploads our uploads. Uploads our episodes. Uh, Andrew Clementi on Insight Check. Very yes. exciting. Uh, and he mentioned how he listens to all of our intros. Uh, so I made it do it an extra saucy yeah. one today. This one's for you, Andrew. Shout out. Woo. Um, all right. I think we have a very special episode of Ugh. the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I'm Greg Tito, and I can't wait for Shelly Mazzanoble and myself. That's you. That's me. To talk to Bob Salvatore. Yay! Bobby is coming back. Very excited. He's got a new Drist book uh, publishing Two. next month. Yes. Uh, and then one following that. So very exciting for, I want to get the make sure I get the Glacier's Edge and the Tao of Drist. Yes. Yes. Which is the second in his uh, current trilogy following on the foothills of the Starlight Enclave. But the Tao of Drist is a really cool one because it's a collection of all of the essays, first-person essays that Drist de Urden, the character, has written over the many decades of Bob writing him. So what a cool, yep. what a cool novel. I uh, love it. Volume, I should say. Yeah, that's very cool. Excited for both of those. We are learning about the way of the drow. Yes, we are. And the scimitars that rise up. Oh. Rise up. Do you know what else I'm excited about? What are you excited about? Kids playing Dungeons and Dragons, as usual. But here's what I'm telling you. They're everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And they're multiplying. While I was at Quinn's baseball game yesterday. Well, I told Mm. you, the week week before I had snack shack duty, so I wore my D&D shirt. Yeah. Um, And then this week, I was chatting with a mom. She was talking about her son. And I just said, has he ever played Dungeons and Dragons? And she just responded with like the most normalness of like, no, but he really wants to. Hmm. And I thought, my gosh, like here's a 10-year-old kid who knows enough about D&D to know that he wants to play. And she's like, he actually has dice and like a book, but he doesn't really know what to do with it. So as we were chatting about D&D and how I can help her get her kid started, a dad and his kid walked by. The kid is also on the team. And she said, oh, this kid loves D&D. And he stopped in his tracks. And he was like, Dungeons and Dragons? What? What are we talking about? Why are we talking about this? And to the, so then it, we started talking about his characters. He's got, he plays a monk, but sometimes a warlock. And he really wants to be a dungeon master, but he doesn't know how. And like all of his campaigns. And he was just on and on and on and on to the point where like the game was starting. And the coach was like, get in the dugout. Get in the dugout. Stop talking. Like come. And he was just like, oh, I can't wait to keep talking about it. I can't wait to keep talking about it. The joy of this is that both of those kids are like sitting on the either side of Quinn in the dugout. And then they start, they continue their D&D discussion like over Quinn's head. And Quinn's like, hmm, hmm. maybe there is something about this Dungeons and Dragons thing. Ooh, but, serious. right. But it's just, Greg, they're out there. They're already playing it and loving it. And they're like, and that sweet spot age of like 9, 10, 11 years old where they're, they're just... It's yeah. a, it's it's something that they're still enticed by, Exciting. even though they're all like digital Fortnite, you know, 
act, I need activity all the time and streaming and this and that. It's like, no, I also do just want to sit at a table with people face to face. I want a pencil. I want some dice and I just want to play D and D. It's still, I, my heart was so full after, and then I talked to the dad for like two hours, like the whole game. He was just asking me questions about D and D and how he, he's like, my wife and I really want to support him on this. We're trying to figure out how to play too. And like, just come over. Bart will DM for you. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm going to volunteer. I, I volunteer Bart to just start this game going. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, I the got more one more for you. Tell me. one more. We were camping. Uh, one of the reasons why we didn't have uh, a Dragon Talk episode. Uh, we skipped one there because I was camping in the woods for a week, which is you know, already very <laughs> D&D-like, but... Um, I didn't bring in materials because there's enough going on, uh, you know, to, so, to to get up and play. But we have some friends of ours from college. Uh, they were actors. They moved to New York with us. Uh, the wife is actually from this area, so she moved to the Pacific, back to the Pacific Northwest uh, a little while ago. Uh, and they have a son named Otis. Uh, and he uh, was like... Oh yeah, you know, I want to talk to you about D and D. Oh. And uh, the wife was like, "Yeah, he's been trying to get uh, like us to like we don't know anything. The same, very similar. Like we don't know what to do, but like blah blah blah." And so he brings out his. Uh, they got him the essentials kit, and so oh. he was like, "We had the essentials kit there," and he was like talking about his. He character. brought it with him. He brought it with him. Oh, I love uh, it. And so we were showing me his character sheet and everything that he was done. He had made his character, but he still hadn't played yet. He doesn't really. You know, he made actually, a character. He made a character using the uh, rule book and the essentials kit, and was like all like down with it. We were talking about the, you know, the various choices that he had made. Oh, what was your background? Blah, blah, blah. It was like super cool. And, you know, you could just see his storytelling muscles, like just, you know, going overdrive, thinking about how we could uh, do this. And so I was also inspired. He's like, she, you know, I think he's 10. So it was like the perfect, like, oh yeah, let's, let's do it. When the school year starts, maybe we can, uh, we can figure out how to, how to, same exact thing, get him, get Bart to DM for him. Yes, volunteer. Bart's going to be making the rounds, just going house to house, school to school. Yeah. Teaching well, these kids other and people families. out there. Like, that's the thing is, like, people are jumping into dungeon mastering uh, all over the place. And then two days ago, uh, my daughter was just, uh, my youngest daughter, who doesn't actually like to play. She wants to be the dungeon master. She's like, when are we going to do my adventure? Like, yeah. When are, when are we gonna, I'm like, yes, I want to do Saturday it. Maybe Saturday when we come over. For sure. Let's do it. Oh, or anytime, so, yeah, seriously. The kids are chomping at the bit uh, to have more uh, game time with uh, their peers, with adults, with everyone. And so you're totally right. I know. It's just like, it's just out there. They're just, and I can, I feel like I'm really good at spotting those D&D kids. Like the way that this mom was describing her son, I'm like, D&D. He's a D&D kid. D&D kid. I knew it. I yeah. knew it. Picking them out. But it's different than the way it used to be, right? Where you used yes. to, you know, the, all these stereotypes of the Coke bottle glasses and things like that. It's not that anymore. It's the people who, uh, it's the kids who have, you know, uh, imagination, who have, uh, you know, yeah, just like that that storytelling kind of muscle, like I've just been saying. Like that's that's the, the, the indicator. Yes. And I also love that when I asked that mother, does, does he play Dungeons and Dragons? She didn't say... Huh? What's, What's that? that? Right. Or like, ooh, no, why? How she was dare just, you insult my camera? How like, dare you insinuate my child to summon no, like demons? Do, and I don't know yeah, how she to, was like, right? Like, yeah. She was like, that's so weird. He really wants to play. He just like carries his dice around and flips through a book sometimes. I'm like, mm-hmm. cool. 
So hard same, hard yes. same on that kid. Have them come over if, if you're cool with just sending your kid to some random adult's house. <laughs> oh. Come into this gay room, right? Come it's, on it's, in. It's so There's monsters and mind flayers on the wall. I shall teach the ways. I am like really getting inspired, though. I do think. I think it's my calling. I think I have to teach kids how to play. I think I have to do it. So, yeah. Look for my uh, young adventurers club starting soon. I want to join your club. I might need you to because it might help to have a (laughs) co-DM. Let's do it. And a cleric because, again, as a mother, I'm not letting these kids go out there without a cleric. Smart. Smart. That's that's important. You got to have standards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they'll be taken care of. All right. Well, we have an amazing person, as we said, uh, on our insect check segment. And then we are going to talk to our A. Salvatore. So let's get going. Let's do it. Let's welcome Andrew Clementi to Insight Check. Hi, Yay! Andrew. How are you? Hello. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yay. Thank Very you for being here. To come in and just grill you on all the questions and find out <laughs> if you are truthfully the person who puts up these Dragon Talk episodes for us. Oh, right. I rolled a 19. So Wow. He didn't even insight. answer yet. <laughs> that's right. Well, we got to see what he has to say. Explain um, yourself, Andrew. Yes, I am a associate web manager at Wizards. I work on all sorts of aspects of the D&D website, including uploading this very podcast, which is always a fun task. Um, oh. I, I always get to listen to the intro and make sure that it's the correct one for the episode I'm uploading. So I'm very familiar with uh, the Welcome to Dragon Talk, because you have to kind of kind of got to listen to the particular intonation to make sure it's the right episode. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it is it is true. And sometimes Greg changes it up a little. Right. It's always like, slightly wow. different. The claps are always slightly different, you know. So. Well, because the studio audience is different. And yeah. It's not it's the same people makeup. every right. week. Wait, hold on, Shelly. Is that true? <laughs> no. I rolled a 19 again. I don't think, I think you're lying. It's the this? studio audience is always this very stinky dog behind me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I love dog and talk. Hey, oh. Andrew. Oh, dog and talk is something we should. Dog and talk. <laughs> um, well, Puppy our, from our studio audience does have a question for you because you work very closely with somebody that Puppy also works very closely with, a gentleman by the name of Bart Carroll. This oh, is yes. this is a safe space for you, Andrew. <laughs> 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 I think the I fact that like, you specified that makes it. Cool. I feel like I mean, now I'm questioning the safety. <laughs> is there anything that like, you can you roll feel an like, check if you want? <laughs> <laughs> is there anything that you would like to talk about or vent about that maybe we could? <laughs> uh, about on the record, mm, no, uh, no, Bart's great. Uh, Jk, he loves uh, you too. Yeah, we've. I've, it's been a. Uh, it's been nice to kind of dive in and take some of the load off of his back. That you know he's been kind of carrying a lot of the content on the site for a long time. So I thought that I can lend a hand and distribute that way a bit because it's growing quickly. There's always yes. new stuff to add. So. Always. For sure. But yeah, Bart's a, Bart's a great guy. I think he was on the show semi-recently too. Yep. So. Oh, I failed. So I, I got have a no idea. That was a one. I don't know if what you're saying is true or not. 
Uh, yeah. So I, we appreciate you trying, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, Andrew, where did, I actually don't know the answer to this, but where did you come from before Wizards? Because you haven't been here that long, right? No, I started um, at the end of last year, so it's been about eight months now. Um, oh. Which feels simultaneously really, it feels like I've been here a really long time and also like I'm just getting started. So. Yeah. Um, but uh, before I uh, came to Wizards, I was working at an advertising agency here in Seattle, a relatively small one called Kamsima Fujikado. Um, and after that, I was doing some freelancing and just kind of trying to figure out what I wanted, what direction I wanted to go in next. So um, I'm glad that my path intersected with Wizards because it's been quite a ride so far. Yeah. And are, are you a D&D? Did you play D&D before you... Right, I did, yeah. uh, somewhat. I, I had some history as a child. I played, well, as a teenager, I played uh, third edition when it was new and hot. Um, that was my intro to it, although we did also go back and play second edition at one point in my group. Um, so, oh, you went back in time. Yeah. When 3.5 came out, my group was like, we don't want this. Let's go back to second edition for some reason. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I think they wanted. To, I think we wanted to play like Planescape, and they didn't. There wasn't a third edition supplement, so. But uh, that campaign didn't last very long, and then we moved on to other tabletop games. None of those really stuck, and um, then I kind of just stopped playing for a really long time until 2020, when uh, you know things changed a little bit and mm, started yeah. thinking like, oh yeah, it's the same things. I'm still around, and uh, looked into some of the details and the new content and just sort of the scene around it. And I was like, wow, this is really this has changed a lot from what I remember. It's grown in so many ways. I mean, granted, the last time I played it was, you know, in basically in my friend's basement as a teenager. So <laughs> a very different audience. But uh but yeah, it was really cool to kind of rediscover fifth edition and all the new editions and also just like seeing the um the scene around it, the internet and live plays and everything. So yeah, it's uh um, I think my first game of fifth edition was part of the uh, virtual play weekends. I think maybe D and D celebration in twenty twenty one. So, shout out to Chris Tulock for getting all that going and yeah. getting you back. Yeah, in the that's fold. A, that's awesome. They're yeah, very handy for sure. So yeah, these and after that, I was like, oh, this is great. I want to do this more than once a month. So started looking for a group and ended up uh, forming my own and starting a DM. So so you're a DM now. I am. I've been doing that for. About a year now, I think. Um, uh, solely online, using virtual tabletop stuff. So that's been also a fun discovery. But I was kind of had the moment of realization of like, was thinking about like my both my technical and creative skills and being like, man, there's a lot of overlap with DM stuff. I could probably be, I could probably do a pretty good job at this if I wanted to. So um, I like to think that I'm. I mean, still a lot to learn. I don't think you ever really master being a dungeon master, but. Um, yeah, it's been it's been really fun to um, have a regular group and start a campaign and just kind of have these recurring ventures and inside jokes. Yeah, yeah, so. it's good bonding for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What kind of a uh, what kind of a world are you playing in? Uh, it's a very stock Forgotten Realms world. We started with the uh, the Lost Minds of Fendelver since okay. we, many of the players were, were new, myself included. So. Um, so yeah, we ran through that whole adventure, um, and everyone was having fun. So we're like, let's keep it going, and I've been kind of homebrewing it from there. I'm kind of working towards some of the Candlekeep adventures, um, yeah. and I eventually want to go to the Radiant Citadel because that's uh, a really cool book. And one of my players is from the Philippines, so uh, I definitely oh, want to do that cool. adventure. The one that's oh, it's super cool. Uh, yeah. So. So you're you as a new dungeon master, and you're and you said a lot of your players were new. Like what for for 
other new dungeon masters? What what are some best practices you picked up as you were starting your DM journey? It's um, a good question. Um, let's see. I think um, one of the main things, at least for me, was just to kind of get out of my own head and realize that it doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to account for every mm-hmm. possibility. That's and really good. It's, it's really just more fun for everyone if you kind of go with the flow mm-hmm. and don't like try to force whatever exact scenario you concocted. That's that was a hard lesson for me uh, initially, but I think the more you do it, the easier it gets to kind of just roll with it. And I think that sort of improv approach is something that a lot of DMs preach, and it works well for a lot of reasons. So, but you do kind of have to be comfortable with that. Just uh, you know, <laughs> but yeah, um, but yeah, uh, I think also like not. Um, not fixating too much on the rules. Like you don't have to memorize every single bit of information about everything. Uh, obviously, some of the basics you want to make sure you have down pat. But I'm always looking up spell durations and monster stats and all the little things that um, I initially was like, "Oh, I've got to memorize all this stuff so that I can tell my players exactly how to do it." Um, but I think like just being a little humble and being you know accepting that sometimes the players will know the rules better than you and. Uh, <laughs> Going with Which that. is it's helpful, been, right? Yeah, like it's, it's so helpful. It's, there's, it's enough in, things, there's enough things you have to worry about in the campaign. You don't have to be an encyclopedia of the rules as well. But yeah. I sort of had that perception maybe just from my past. or um, that my, my DM as a, as a teenager was a pretty encyclopedia kind of person. So that was sort of my perception of what you should do. Right. Moving away from that was very helpful. Yeah, yeah it it's very freeing for sure. That's like to get when you once you realize the players and the dungeon masters are are together and meant right. to be people who are working together, and that people are generally just very grateful to be playing, and mm-hmm. that they're they're happy that they have a dungeon master, even if the dungeon master has to look up a rule or ask for advice. Who cares? Right. I'm always apologetic about like, oh, sorry, I, I didn't prepare as much as I wanted to this session. Like, I didn't have X, Y, and Z set out. I didn't have this art that I wanted to together or whatever but they're almost always like you know i'm just i'm just glad we have a game happy to be here yeah so i think um figure like at least for me i think i always try and do like the best possible thing um in a perfectionist streak sometimes so dnd is actually really great for moving away from that because (laughs) you can't never plan for every contingency and even in the game you know the best laid plans can go awry with the roll of the dice so and sometimes that's what makes it fun. Sure. Yes, Definitely. you got to embrace that's, those moments. That's less fun when you're dealing with web uh, public publications. <laughs> <laughs> when you're like, oh, let's just roll with it. You do not happens. like. Yes. You don't it's like the little, roll of the die. It's a but slightly is, different approach for web publication. Yeah, but there is some of that involved, right? I mean, oh, I definitely. I've worked with many CMSs in the past, uh, content mm-hmm. management systems that are, you know, you kind of have to do iterations of the same thing going up in order to to troubleshoot problems and things like that. So that's yeah, that's, that might you know. It's good that you have that perfectionist streak, but it also is is good to also just be like, hey, well, we're doing it. We're making it better. We're improving each time. Right. You gotta you gotta look out for the details, but you can't expect to catch all of them all the time. So yeah. um, being able to pivot and quickly fix things and just sort of go with the flow is also a very useful skill in web publication. For sure. Well, yeah, 17. That checks out. I think that's uh I think that's about right. You're gonna, you're gonna hot streak on those dice. I know, right? I got that one, two 19s, a one, and a 17. So uh, it runs the gamut. Are you based in Seattle? I am, yeah. Um, I live in Capitol Hill. So oh, uh, going to the, uh, our Eastgate office twice a week. So it's been cool to uh, meet some of the people I work with in person and 
Have you always been in Seattle? Or are you a native? Uh, I moved here about six years ago from California. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So it uh, definitely feels like home at this point. And um, I don't think I'm planning on leaving anytime soon either. Oh, you better not. How are you dealing <laughs> with the heat? The heat today is... Uh... Uh, you know, it's not as... I mean, when I first moved here, I thought it was funny that everybody would sort of... Uh, like oh it's so hot when it got into like the 70s because it, for me it like wasn't really hot until we broke triple digits coming from the central valley but yeah. oh. uh it didn't really factor in the lack of air conditioning here which right. uh, does does affect it some so uh i mean not that there's no air conditioning but it's not like it was pretty much standard not in common. interior yeah, yeah it's <laughs> feels like it's becoming more common recently since there's been some crazy hot summers but um but yeah it's uh it's not too bad i think um once I, uh, you're exposed to triple digits on the regular, you know, you sort of have a <laughs> higher threshold, I suppose. That is true. That is true. You're, oh, you're used to the plane of, of fire. <laughs> yeah. Although it was funny, actually, uh, last year when it got crazy hot here, I was actually in California and it was weird that it was cooler there than it was yeah. Uh, in Seattle. Oh, yeah. Right? It was triple digits here last year. Early, too, like in June. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. That was wild. Was. Yeah. Well, we're very excited to have you here and uh, be a part of the web team. Uh, and as well, thank you for, and on behalf of all Dragon Talk listeners, thank you for uploading yes, these episodes. Yes, thank it you. Is, it's my pleasure to get it out to the masses. And, uh, well, let's see if that's true. <laughs> I rolled a one. I swear to God. Well, one. Liar, Andrew. Liar. <laughs> you hate uploading those episodes. I knew it. <laughs> such a, you're right. It's such a chore. You know, got to... Select He's things like, on a form, it's copy Wednesday. paste things. Ugh, I hate Wednesdays. <laughs> no, the only time it's uh, it's annoying is when I'm like, oh, I'll get to that. Because it usually comes in when I'm at lunch and I'm like, oh, I'll get to that. And then it's like 4.45 and I'm like, oh, I didn't get to that. <laughs> so if you've, ever, uh, if you've ever gotten a late episode, listeners, Blame. Uh, I apologize. Blame Andrew. Right. <laughs> that's a late lunch. <laughs> that is mm-hmm. the, uh, <laughs> that's the truest thing you've ever said. Uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for, for coming on and being a part of it. Is there, are you uh, online or anything, uh, you know, you want to promote? Uh, I am kind of anti-social media. Well, not anti-ass. Uh, I like to say anti-social media because it sounds like anti-social. But, uh, I don't have any regular uh, web presences, but um, I would like to say a shout out to the friends of Mundi. That is my D&D. Oh, okay. That was like, wait, what? I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. One more time. Say it again. Sorry, shout out to the Friends of Moonbeam. The Friends of Moonbeam. The Friends of Moonbeam. Moonbeam is their uh, mascot. He's a stoat, I believe, a a pure white stoat. Oh, that's (laughs) awesome. Yeah, well, go Moonbeam. Don't don't spray us. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks again, Andrew. And, uh, well, seven. Yeah, I believe it. Moonbeam is real. (laughs) All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you both. Since it's Thank you. Thanks, Andrew, for uploading all these episodes, including this Yay, one. Hey, Andrew. So exciting, and I love that uh, continuing on the theme of our intro here, like, uh, he just got into playing uh, Dungeons & Dragons again because it was like, yeah, I want this in my life. And wanted to play and decided he's going to have to be the dungeon master, as as that role is often want to do. 
You want to play? Sometimes you just have to be the dungeon master. Good for you. He's inspiring uh, all around. And someone who is arguably inspired the most Dungeons & Dragons uh, readers, storytellers, players out there over the decades he's been writing He's going to come on this podcast right now. Let's go. Let's talk to uh, Bob Salvatore. Yay! Let's welcome back Bob Salvatore to Dragon Talk. Yay! Yay! Baby! <laughs> so excited you're back. Yeah, it's a, it's like a yearly thing. It is. <laughs> well, because you keep writing such amazing books. That's why. Exactly. <laughs> you keep cranking out the books. What, what choice do we have? Well, you know. Got a lifestyle to support here. <laughs> <laughs> I want a sports car, damn it. Uh, okay, w- what are we at here? And uh, Do you know off the top of your head how many books you're at now? Total? or Yeah, just total. Uh, it's got to be closer than on 70. 70 books? Bob! Well, let me see. I've got 14 Demon Wars. Three Spearwilders, so 17, 20 with Crimson Shadow, 23 with the NSIL books, my first books, oh my God. 25 with the two Star Wars books. Uh, what am I missing? Uh, 39, 38 Dritz books. 38. So that's what? 67 plus wow. five cleric books. Whoa. Plus 50. Yeah. Plus five, plus the three Stone of Tomorrow books. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it keeps going up. You're up to well, 80 almost. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. That's more, yeah. Than a, that's more than a book a year. Well, at one point of I your... was doing three a year for a run. I was, because I was writing, I was writing two or three Dritz books a year back in the early, late 80s, early 90s. And I was working with Warner. Well, first I was working with uh, Penguin with the NSIL books, my first books. Then I was working with um, Ace on the Spearwilders books and Warner. And that was all simultaneous with the Dritz books. So I was, you know, I was doing three books a year. My goodness. I really picked up the pace after I quit my job because I was terrified. Yeah, that's a, a no good motivator. <laughs> no insurance, three little kids. And, you know, that's when you got to get to work. That's right. right. <laughs> well, I was having a ton of fun. I was young and full of energy. Well, You're clearly still you still energy. are. <laughs> yes. okay. Like that movie, we were young then and strong. <laughs> in so in this these seventy plus books that you've written now, do you like ha, has your process changed? Like, are you a different yes. writer than you were in the early days? Like, how? Yes, I, to both. How? Well, process has changed in that I'm, I don't have to be regimented anymore. The kids aren't here anymore. I don't have to get kids ready for school. Um, you know, I have to get supper on the table before Diane gets home from work because she was working for a while there and I was, I was taking care of the house. So now it's like, eh, I think I'll go right. Nah, let's go by the pool. You know, oh. it's, um, it's much easier now in terms of making the schedule because I'm not, I'm not dependent. I know how many hours I got to get in there. I can get them in whenever I want. Um, the books still stay with me. They, they go to bed with me and they wake up with me, but not as much as they did in the, in the early days. It was like obsession because mm-hmm. it had to be, I mean, I, it, this was a big risk that we took as a family and that played heavily. So I never would let the book go. Now it's like, I can put it a little more at arm's length when I'm not working, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I also think getting, 
have I changed as a writer? Yeah, I think I've changed a lot as a writer. I read some of the early ones and I just wouldn't do it like that anymore. A lot of the, just the sentence structure and paragraph structure and use of pronouns the way I did. And and he said, she said, and all that stuff. I, I think you grow as you write. Writing like anything else, the more you do it, the better you get at it, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so the mechanical parts of writing are easier now, but the energy for it is is harder to summon. I think, as my situation has changed, just to be honest about it. I, having said that, once I start writing, the energy is there because I still love it. Mm. Oh, that's, that's that thing, wonderful. right? Where the, the characters kind of flow out of you once you once you sit down and start typing, right? Yeah, yeah. Is that how it is? Like, do you are you the kind of writer where you just sit down and just start writing, or are you? Do yeah, you well, to, what do they say? Right, you're either a plotter or a pantser. I'm a full pantser, although that doesn't mean I wear them when I'm writing. But <laughs> um, yeah, I I write I do my outline because if you don't do the outline, they won't send you an advance check, right? Because they have to know you know what you're doing. Gotcha. And then I throw the outline away and I just run, and the book just tells me where to go. I I write a book the way people read books. You know, I have to keep going to find out what's on the next page. You don't know? No, nah, not always. At the end of the Companions, right? The Companions is about the rebirth of Caddy B. Bruner and um, Caddy B. Bruner and Regis, right? It's about their rebirth after they were put in the they were put in the Rule of Dune by Maliki to come back and help Dritz after the Time of Troubles. I mean the Spell Plague after the Spell Plague. Well, the Time of Troubles was the first reset. Um, you know, hundred years later, they, they were they were brought back, and at the end of the book. And in the book, Wolfgar does, chooses not to go back. He chooses to go on to the afterlife. He's had a full life. He's got great kids, grandkids, great grandkids. He's 105 when he got killed in a fight with a Yeti. You know, he decides I'm going on. And at the end of the book, when they're on top of Kelvin's cairn, they find Dritz. And not if it's a spoiler, too bad. The book's like nine years old or whatever, <laughs> 10 years old. Um, you know, they find Dritz and... and there's a point where Guinevere's ears go back and she gives this little growl. And that's when I knew that Wolfgar was in the book. I didn't even know that he was coming back. And I realized at the end that Gwen saw him. Oh. And that's when he showed up. And it really happened that just gives like me that. Goosebumps. I was like, like, oh my God, why is, why is Guinevere doing it? Oh yeah, Wolfgar's there. <laughs> and I didn't know. I oh, love yeah. when that happens. Oh yeah. Writers are such all the time. strange people. Happens well, like, all the time. <laughs> I love it so much. I think I'm a pantser. I think I really am too. I've been I've been writing more recently, and I've got you know, like you said, like I got an outline enough of you know. I think these are the broad strokes, but from page to page, I don't know what's going to happen either. And, and I love yeah. discovering that. Yeah. Do you have? A, do you um, Shelly? You, um, Greg, you probably don't remember, but Shelly, were you around with Scott Siensen at all when Scott was writing with TSR? No. Okay, Scott was a friend of mine. He was one of the early writers in TSR, went on to other things. Did an EverQuest book with me when mm-hmm. I was editing that line. And he passed away a few years ago, sadly, way too young. He was like early 50s. It was just out of the blue. Um, but, but Scott used to write outlines that were as long as my books. <laughs> they were like 70 or 80 pages, single spaced. I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm not doing that. 
right? You might as well. So basically, he would write the book in outline form and then just flesh it out. I can't do that at all. Yeah. Because it takes me, sometimes I'll think I'm going in a direction and a week later, it'll, I'll realize I'm not. I need that time. I need to breathe with the book. But the, people, everybody does it differently. Yeah. yeah. You know, I've You're talked with the, all, a lot of other authors about this and we all have very, a little different. Some people use Scrivener. Some people don't. I don't. Um, you know, it, but we all do it just a little bit differently. And whatever works, right? Yeah. It's the end product that matters to the reader. In film and the too, journey like, that matters to the writer. So you hear about like James Cameron writing scriptments where like they're treatments that are half scripts and they're like 80 pages long. And you're like, well, why don't we just write the script instead of, you know, he trying did not to hear about that. But yeah, that was Scott when he was writing books. Yeah. I always got a kick out of that when I was working with him. That's funny. So when you're writing, I sorry. Whenever we talk to writers, I just really like to talk about writing. I'm sorry, but when well, you're because you're a writer, <laughs> I just love hearing about Teenage other people. Sorceress and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Your first book signing. My first book signing, side by side with Bob. I, yes. Bob. I think Bob thought I was there to like hand him water and like clean and like pens. You know that's not true. <laughs> it like, was very nice to you. <laughs> You were the best to me. Are you kidding? The people in line. And Greg, like, she was terrible, but I was telling her she was good. Yeah, well, that's what you got to do. You got to lift her up. <laughs> that's that's what you do. And hopefully one day I will get to like to pass nah. that on to nah. another teenage sorcerer. <laughs> who's doing that was her. a fun signing, and you know it was. So I, don't. It was my favorite thing ever. But I mean. I am a teenage sorceress with like a little pamphlet of a an advanced reading copy sitting next to a New York Times bestselling author. And like these <laughs> Every people, one of us has been there, Shelley. Neural Westcon, 1990, I think. Bob, you get to sign next to Terry Brooks. Oh. <laughs> so I sit down next to Terry, whose line wraps around the convention center 73 times. And I'm sitting there with one guy going, are you at Greenwood? <laughs> <laughs> uh, nobody asked me that thankfully nope. but you're, you're my Terry but, Brooks but what I got to do and what I learned is you sit if the line's coming this oh, way yeah. and you're the, you're the newbie the you opening sit on act. this side exactly. so you get to talk to people while he's talking to those people yeah and I think we did it the opposite <laughs> So I was like, here's a we gift. We were just in that tiny here's, little booth. At, that was yeah. at ABA. What? They came. No, that was it. That was, that was BLA. At it, was BLA. At, it was Book Expo. Okay. Yeah. It was. That's right. Yeah. Book, yeah. They were all there. Got their books. It was a tiny signed, little booth. And, it, and was, it was fun. We and I had to like hand. I'm like, no, no, wait. Don't. You have to take my pamphlet. <laughs> it was adorable. Um, How I'm, many people said, is this your wife? I No. No. Yep. <laughs> probably because Diane was standing right there with us probably trying to keep me calm she was my yep. touchstone too yeah that was she fun. misses you she's going to be bummed when I tell her you're not going to be there when we're visiting I know That's, she misses I you terribly she talks about you all the time oh Diane she Diane loves you I love Diane too now I forgot what my question was about I mean, that was can, my plan. I didn't want to answer you. Oh, no, no. I do remember. Okay. As a writer, when you're writing, are you, do you just get the draft out and then go back and edit? Or do you edit no, as you God, write? No, Ugh. You edit as you write? Yes. Like, I, get about, I get about 70% into the book and I go back and I start editing from the beginning. Okay. Because I can do a whole chapter of editing, but I can't do a whole chapter of writing in a day. So in the morning, I'll do a chapter of editing and I'll go forward with the book. And then eventually it's like, 
it's like I'm editing here, I'm writing here, and it goes like this, mm. and it catches up at the end. And that way I've kind of filled in the details. I hate editing books. I hate yeah. editors. Oh, no, I didn't say that out loud. Too. No, I, I actually appreciate <laughs> editors and keeping at the same time. But um, I hate editing books. I hate rereading my books. And now, because the publishers have all cut back on their staff, it's like they send you the book like six different times. Okay, the here's your first edit. And okay, here's your copy edit. And this is what we're sending to the printer. Go look at, oh, we need you to add these things here. And here's your sensitivity read. And here's your this. And here's it's like, just send the damn thing. I'm done. (laughs) I don't want to read this thing again. I wrote this book like six months ago. I don't remember it. I don't want to. I'm on to something else. (laughs) That's funny. That's, yeah, that's what was happened with our book too, actually. We we got several copies and I couldn't help but go back and tinker each time. I'm like, well, we could do this differently. We could do that differently. Then I made you tinker more. And then you made me tinker more. Exactly. Like, but that's, yeah, I didn't realize that was new. I thought that was the process all along. Oh, no, it used to be, it used to be very different. I mean, when I first started, this was before the internet was big, right? It was 88, 87 was my first edit. And um, I was on the phone, Mary Kirchhoff and then Eric Severson for 14 hours. We were going through the manuscript. Oh. Um, no, it was awesome. They taught me so much. I, I owe Mary and Eric so much when just learning how to make it, the first part and the second part sing, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, yeah. and just, just the mechanics of writing. That was so instructive. I, that was the most hands-on experience ever. And I loved it. Even though I would get off the phone swearing at them. Oh boy. I was, <laughs> um, but then I'd say, you know, they're right. And that's why I hate them even more. Um, but we go through that and that's the last I'd see of it. So it was on the shelf. Wow. How do you and, know the difference? This is another kind of writerly question. How do you know the difference of when an editor is right and when your instincts are to swear after you talk to them? How do you <laughs> my instincts are always to swear after I talk to them. So that's, <laughs> no, mine that's too. Not, that's right not, or wrong. The second part of that question has nothing to do with the first part. I don't know that the editors are always right, and I'll fight like hell when I think they're wrong. But most of the time, if the editor's saying something... I pay really close attention because they're reading it like a reader. I'm reading it like someone who's, you know, they're reading it like someone looking at one of my kids. I'm looking at one of my kids mm, that's good and you don't see the flaws or you see them when they're not there. It works both ways. Right. Um, so they're, they're usually right. Or if they're not right, they're usually right in their discomfort. We just haven't put our finger on why they're uncomfortable with a certain part mm. yet. And sometimes it's just wrong. Um, no, it's true. Usually with names. They're wrong with names. And I make them pay for it. They're wrong with names? Like and changing yes. names? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I did a book. When I did The Halfling's Gem, they wanted me, they, that was the third book. And the people at TSR and their infinite wisdom, Mary, haha, said, I th- we think people are tired of these characters, so let's wrap it up and maybe we'll go on to something different. This was 1989, (laughs) I think. Um, Eat those words, Mary. Yeah. And so I had to do the the ending where the dwarves retook Mithril Hall, which I was planning to do as the fourth book, but now there wasn't going to be a fourth book, right? And so I did it in the epilogue, and I had to come up with dwarf a dwarf to lead the charge and take Mithril Hall. So I came up with the best dwarf name ever, Dag Nabbit. (laughs) Dag Nabbit's a great dwarf name. (laughs) 
But apparently some of the people at TSR took exception to that because they thought I was making fun of their game and not taking it seriously. And I was, except for the dwarves. That's their role in my books. Um, and so I, after, after, I don't know, a few weeks after the book came out, because it was really short time frame back then. I mean, I finished The Crystal Shard in October. I, I started it in July. I finished it in October. It was on the shelf in February. That's how wow. fast it was wow. in the early days of TSR publishing. It was like, get the damn thing done. Let's get it out there. Um, so it was right after the book came out, I get a call from Eric and he's like, Bob, yeah, Dag Nabbit. <laughs> Gosh darn it. He says, no, Dag Nabbit. And I'm like, what is your problem, dude? He says, you have a dwarf named Dag Nabbit. I said, yeah, is the best dwarf name ever? No, it's not. And people are mad at me about it. And in the next book, you will make him General Dagna. Oh, said, that's stupid. And he said, no, it will be Dagna. So when I had to do that. So I made it Dagna. And then, of course, Eric left. I drove him into the Unitarian Church or wherever he is. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love Eric. He, he is. He's, he's, a, he's a minister in the church, which is perfect for him because he's the kindest human being on the planet. I love the man to death. But um, when he was gone, before he left, actually, I got him good because... I went back to Dagnabbit after he left. That's what I was going to say. But before that, I got him good because then I, they interrupted my Dritz books to do the cleric books. Well, I finished the Dark Elf trilogy. Then they wanted to take breaks. I the cleric books. Then you did a couple of dwarves. So I came up with the, bro- <laughs> the Brothers Boulder Shoulder. I came up with Ivan and P-I-K-E-L. So I sent the manuscript in and I waited by the phone. I could almost count down when it was going to ring. <laughs> phone rings. I pick it up and it's Eric. And he says, Pickle. I said, cucumber? <laughs> the pickle. I said, tomato. What are we talking about? A garden salad? He goes, you have a dwarf named Pickle. I said, what are you talking about? He says, you're a dwarf in the book. His name Pickle Boldershaw. I said, no, it's Pikeall, like the weapon. <laughs> he says, all right, never mind. <laughs> He's got green hair and a green beard. It's Pickle. He's a Pickle. Oh, And it fits. And people love Pickle. <laughs> And he's really big in Glacier's Edge, I might add. Ooh. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so let's talk about the, the new book coming out. What can you say about Glacier's Edge before it comes out? Was it in August, Great book. Right? Everybody should buy it. <laughs> <laughs> do, it from you, do you blurb your own books, Bob? <laughs> I, I blurb them. I review them on Amazon. And, <laughs> and I work for Publishers Weekly when no one's looking. <laughs> Starred review. all over the place. <laughs> Yes. I used to work for Kirkus and I gave me terrible reviews because if you get a good if you get a good review from Kirkus, you're commercially dead. <laughs> <laughs> that was the old joke in the industry. I was walking down the street with Terry Brooks and Matt Stover once, and Matt Stover, who's a big guy, I don't know, and he's he's like a knife fighter, literally. And he's jumping up, he's like kicking mailboxes and punching street signs. And I'm like, what the hell's the matter with you? I got this review. And he's going on and on and on and on and on. And Terry's laughing at him. And it's and and finally I'm like, Matt, you know, you gotta you gotta take reviews with a grain of salt. We all get bad reviews, we all get good reviews. Well, and give him the whole spiel. And Terry's howling. He goes, Matt, tell him where you got the bad review. Matt goes, Effing Kirkus. And I just started <laughs> laughing at him. Like you write fantasy. You got a bad review from Kirkus, it means you may have a career, son. <laughs> Good advice. Back oh, then, that was fantasy the tr- it's writers. changed now. It's changed now. But um, anyway. Yeah. Well, this is the second book, Glacier's Edge is the second yes. book in this in this new trilogy. 
Yes. Um, I'm excited about it. I loved it. I had such a blast writing this one because I left them in a really bad place at the first one. And bad places now can mean a lot more than they used to mean because I'm getting old and mean. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Bad news for the characters. Well, so many people got mad at me when characters came back. So we'll take care of that. Um, But anyway... Um, is the second book, you always worry about the second book in a trilogy because they tend to be the slow books. So this book has its moments, but really from like the second half of the book on, it is rock and roll. It is just, it is probably the most complex and best choreographed, most diversely choreographed battle scene I've ever done. And I had a blast with it. Whoa, that says a lot. Because I've got all different a... types of magic and monsters fighting, and it is such a blast. I wish I had a D&D game like that. <laughs> I probably I had could. It perfectly just <laughs> like that, yeah. But it was, so it really, this, this book has a rock and roll feel to it. Were you listening to a lot of rock and roll? When Damn right. Led right Zeppelin, now? baby. Yeah. <laughs> What did you think of uh, speaking of no more, no more the Fleetwood Mac movie stuff? It yeah, was Led Zeppelin for this one. <laughs> what did you think of the new D and D movie trailer? Speaking of Led Zeppelin, uh, being the soundtrack, I haven't watched it. Oh, I really haven't because I haven't watched it because. Say hi to Shelly, Diane. <gasps> Diane. Hi, Diane. Oh, hi. hi! It's wine o'clock here, so oh, yeah, guess who's not going to be good. there? Cheers. Guess who's not going to be there when we go to Wizard? You don't have to tell her that now, Bob. Oh, man, I want to go hang out with Diane. Hi, guys. Sorry, right now. Sorry, we won't see you. Me too. I thought the Virgin Islands wouldn't let you in. Ooh. Paw. Paw. Have you ever been there? No. Go there. Rent the catamaran. Take. Find three, find two couples who are friends. You and Greg, you and Bart, and two couples friends of yours. Right. Okay. I'm telling everybody listening, do this, do this. It's a place called the Morans, where you can rent a catamaran, <laughs> and you can rent the crew, which is usually a husband and wife, cook and captain. Ooh, like below deck. And all you do is go from island to island in the BVIs, and like every island has two buildings. A restaurant and a bar. Mm, okay. And you moor up and you go there in like you know, after November 1st, after hurricane season. We went before November 1st once and got caught in Tropical Storm Raphael. You don't want to do that. Trust me. That's not fun. No. But scared as hell. But it is the most re- – all we did all day was have Van Morrison and Jimmy Buffett blaring from our, from our mast, the speakers on the mast – Let's go to that island. Okay, let's go. And we were captaining our own boat because we're insane. But <laughs> I thought for a second there, Van Morrison and Jimmy Buffett were the uh, the husbands of the couple. <laughs> and they That's just they brought went. out their guitars and started cool. playing with That you. would be amazing. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> let's do it, Shelly. All right? Okay. Let's get, let's get Aaron and Bart. And, uh, I'm telling you right now. I'm telling uh, it, Maybe. you. Maybe. You would... You would It'll be the best, one of the best vacations you ever have. Sounds and it's, like it. I mean, it's, it sounds expensive because you got to rent the boat by the day, but you're splitting it three ways. It's like three hotel rooms. Yeah. And you get to go to the baths, and you get to go to Totola, and you get to go to Dragon's K. 
sounds like we're going through the forgotten realms. I know. No, and I mean, you go to the places, like there's one island, the Anagata, it's about 12 miles north of the BVIs. The highest point on this island, it's a big island, it's like 28 feet. And you could sail right by it if you don't know what you're doing. Then you're in trouble because then you're going into the mid-Atlantic. But um, (laughs) they have have a thing called Cowwreck Beach where one of the ship of cows was going in and got shipwrecked offshore and the cows made it to shore. And now there's feral cows all over the beach. It's very (laughs) There are places you sit down on the beach and you swear you're the first person to ever (laughs) sit there and you're expecting a pirate ship to come around the bend. It is this sounds like it actually sounds exactly like the setting for the new D&D starter set, which Stormwreck is, Isle is called Stormwreck Isle. There you go. AKA. And Cal I just wrote a pirate book. <laughs> so my next trip to the BVIs is tax deductible. <laughs> All right. Well, Greg and I will start by renting kayaks on Elkai Beach and see if we can work up to. Well, you can't, you can't rent the catamaran unless you have a captain's license. <laughs> well, if you're I, I the captain. I'm not you captain. You have to hire the captain. We definitely captain. will hire a captain. Right, Greg? Yeah, I, I mean, this so. is all fantasy anyway. Or we just recruit Bob to do it. <laughs> Bob, you got a <laughs> captain's license? Diane would go. There you we go. There's our other couple, Bob and there Diane. She'd go. That'd without a doubt. Okay. We'll play D&D and, uh, and we'll, we'll drink the wine. Led Zeppelin and have wine o'clock the entire time. No, we can't do Led Zeppelin and the BVIs. No, <laughs> you can't. No, you got to do Jimmy Buffett, Van Morrison, you know, that kind of stuff. Yacht rock. I got, yes, I got a great playlist for us. <laughs> <laughs> My dad made it while he was visiting. That'll be your job is the, <laughs> the playlist manager. <laughs> yes, I'll manage the playlist. Just okay. don't forget your passport because you're going to British Virgin. Mm. Okay. How many books do we have to write, uh, Shelley, before we can afford that? Probably like 56. I'm guessing. Um, you, it's less than the trip to Disney huh? by far. Wow, really? All right, we're done yeah. with then. Yeah. Okay. Done. It's not that expensive. Okay. And it's really nice. Although you guys, you guys should be in Hawaii all the time. That's where I'd be if I lived in Seattle. I mean. You know, if travel wasn't uh, so awful right now with planes and COVIDs and who else knows whatever that's pandemic kids. is going to be coming soon? Well, that's why I'm excited to be back on the road. I'm also a little nervous. Oh, yeah. Let's talk yeah. about this. So are you going back on tour? I'm going to Gen Con. Yay! Yay oh, back to the roots. I haven't been there in like seven years, eight wow. years. I can't believe it's been that long. Yeah. I was supposed to be the guest of honor in 2020. Oh. And then boom, shut down, right? Yeah. Um, and so I'm guest. I'm an author guest of honor at Gen Con. So one of them. Amazing. Oh, yeah, and I'll get to see some old friends. Margaret Tracy will be there, and uh, you know I'm hoping Larry Elmore's out there. And I haven't, you know, I haven't been in so long. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. And then nice. I've got some book signings in New England, and then I'm going out to um, Emerald City uh, right. Comic Con out in Seattle. That should be great. I love that's a great convention. Really do a nice job. Yeah. And then uh, back to L.A. in September when Dow of Dritz comes out. I'll be in L.A. So I'll probably do some signings out like a mysterious galaxy out yes. there. Or something. I haven't scheduled anything yet, but probably do some signings out there. Yeah. Back on the road. We'll see oh, how it goes. It's going to be amazing. I, you, going um, to your book tours when you when you would 
stop in Seattle and the surrounding areas. That was some of my favorite times. And not because I tried to insert myself into your book signing <laughs> by having people sign my pamphlets, but <laughs> because I just, I know we've talked about this before, but you are the best author that I've ever seen in, in interacting with fans that you will, you will talk to like everybody. We're on the road of adventure together. You, but you would like everybody feels special when they come up to you, and you can tell Good. these are people who are extremely passionate about your work and are so excited to meet you, and it it just pays off. I've I have been excited about meeting authors that I love, and I have been extremely disappointed by how they basically just like stamp my book and and then the handler pushes me out of the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. I didn't even like. No, I, I know you can't have that's a. Not who I am. That's not no. who I am. You yeah. know me better than that. They and like, and and I also really love that your your audience has fans of all ages, and like to see like the teenagers, usually teenage boys, discovering your work and how excited they are also to meet you. Yeah, I don't think just, that's true anymore, though. I mean, it's still true that the, the, I don't think it's teenage boys part is true anymore, and that's the beauty of what's going on in the industry, right? I mean, my books and things look like Fleetwood Mac concerts. <laughs> you have a you have a grandfather with his son and his right. granddaughter, and they're all reading the book. It's it's amazing. Yes, it's wonderful. Yes, but you know you know where I you know where I first saw how authors should be with fans. Where? Oh, and I don't like calling them fans, by the way. Readers. I like calling them readers. Nice. I don't. I don't like take the note. Fan. Take note, Greg. Um, yeah, readers. <laughs> um, I was at my first Gen Con, and Mary made me sit behind Margaret and Tracy when they were doing a signing. Yeah, and they they they're fantastic with the Dragonlance people because they're fantastic people, and um, you know between I I feel like being allowed into other people's lives at the extent you are as an author when they get passionate about your work is a privilege, mm-hmm. and I take it very seriously, and I honestly enjoy meeting people. Yeah, it it's is. funny because I'm like the shyest person you've ever met. Now, you wouldn't know that now. I'll freely admit you wouldn't think that of me. But no. that was me. I, I was in college. I was like, I think I was a sophomore in college when one day I went to school and I said, you know, on my deathbed, my whole life is going to flash before me and I'm not even in it. And that's the truth. Mm-hmm. Wow. I was the invisible kid in the corner in high school. Until you were able to like kind of get some of that out there, you think? Do you think the creative I work forced myself to get past it because I was missing life. Yeah. I wasn't dating anyone. I wasn't meeting people. I wasn't, you know, it was, I had to force myself past that. Yeah. That's, I just had a conversation on Sunday with a neighbor who's, she has a very, very, very shy daughter, like to the point where like strangers or, you know, Hmm, something wrong. Like, no, she's just extremely shy. And, but my friend was saying the same thing. Like at some point she realized in college that she was missing out on on her life and that it's this constant battle in her head where she had to like force herself to interact with people and to make friends. And it's just, I, I've heard that a lot from shy people and you don't, I don't think people always realize what that internal struggle is like for them at at all times. Yeah. It's brutal. And, but once you get past it, you wonder how it was ever there, you know? Yeah. Um, I wonder if it is, I mean, this is 
kind of a, a, a non sequitur away from this, but I wonder how much of it has to do with like neurodivergence and how much we understand it now. Like, I don't know. think we've even begun to understand it yet. We're a lot so better either. than we used to be. Yeah, but, but a lot yeah, of the kids that were to- told, "Oh, they're just different," or they're going through a phase, or they're you know doing the things they were in some ways dealing with you know symptoms of ADHD or you know manic, or manic depression and all these things Absolutely. that we just didn't have the words or the language to really understand it. And I wonder if because you know I had a similar how many kids were labeled as stupid. Yeah, right. When they were just dyslexic. actually labeled as or trouble stupid. like troublemakers or because troublemakers, they couldn't sit right. still in class. That was me. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, it, it it is amazing when you look back and you see, you know, it's like watching seventies TV shows and you kind of go, "Wow, really?" <laughs> yeah, you get away with different yeah. things. Really, Not- she went with John Belushi at the end of that movie after what he did. Really, really. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Well, we know though that actually playing D and D can help with with some of that, the the social anxiety and overcoming shyness, and it helps to have to play a character that's Absolutely. different from yourself. And well, that's the other thing, right? You're putting on a mask. Yeah. And when you put on the mask, you're not you're not worried about your own self confidence anymore as much because you're putting on a mask. So if your character says something stupid, it's not you saying something. Exactly. The character did. And then you realize that maybe you're not stupid. Maybe you don't, maybe, maybe the things you say aren't as bad as you think they are. But for me, it was simply a matter of, you know, I, I, I met some people, even in high school, there were, you know, there were, there were girls I wanted to date, there were women I wanted to date, get to know, people I really cared about, came to like a lot, and they're really interesting people. I didn't have the guts. And my life was just going. Then I became a bouncer, and that helped a lot. <laughs> I wonder, I mean, because you mentioned like, you're like, hey, I just had to turn it on. You know, like I just had to go out there and do it. And similar to what your friend, uh, your neighbor was saying, Shelly, too. Like, I wonder how much of that is actually role playing. How much of that is the mask becoming on? Like, even when you became an author, like, all right, when I'm at this table and people or readers are coming up to me, I have to be this certain way because that's the way. No, for me, it wasn't that. For me, it was literally, there there was a girl I saw at college and I thought, wow, she's really pretty. And and I heard her, and I'm like, she's, she's smart. She's, and I'm like, I want to meet her. And so I said, damn it, just take the shot. And I took a piece of paper, and mm-hmm. I wrote I wrote a little note to her, and I slipped it in her, her mailbox at college. And she responded positively. And it was like, wow, that didn't hurt. <laughs> mm. You know? And yeah. it, it just, that's the growth you got to go through to get out of it. But you know, I think neurodivergence is a big part of it. I think it's more pronounced now because people spend a lot more time like this as opposed yeah. to, so I think you can hide a lot more now than you used to be able to hide. But you couldn't really hide when I was a kid. You get home from school, you might say, get the hell out, be home for supper, right? right. When the street lights come on. So we used to take our BB guns and shoot up the street lights. <laughs> so, <laughs> they so they can't come out. If we wanted to stay out late, I, I had a little Crosman and they'd be like, you guys want to go in yet? No, nope, neither do I. Punk. Okay. Could have just asked for an extension oh, of your curfew, light. Bob. No, it didn't work. <laughs> Mom, the street light didn't come on. It's out. It's broken. It's not our fault. Damn yeah. Sorry. Damn it's squirrels. 16 times this week. Damn squirrels and their BB guns. <laughs> <laughs> Put them in your next novel, the BB gun toting squirrels. Perfect. <laughs> I like it. 
named Dagnabbit. And if a raccoon can be a guardian, <laughs> guardian of the galaxy, a squirrel can tote a BB gun. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, hey, am I allowed to drink wine on, t- on camera? Hell yeah. Absolutely. Because it's screaming at me. It's like, oh. well, drink me, drink me. You've had it there the whole time since no, Diane walked Brock. in? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's some serious resistance. It's reservations right there. Yeah. Wine doesn't survive Shelly, does it? <laughs> not a chance. Not a chance. <laughs> if it was bourbon, it would have been long gone and we'd be having a better conversation. Mm. All right, next <laughs> time we do this. Bourbon. <laughs> bring us all bourbon. Well, what I love about, I mean, even just us talking about this uh, type of neurodivergence thing like that, that, that like level of introspection that I know that you are are capable of from our conversations here, like it's all in your books. I love that, like, you know, the perspective of Drist and that character, like we've just gotten so much more about how he has grown and changed and his ideas have, uh, you know, you think he got into some kind of resolution and then like, you know, the perspective shifts again and he has to adjust based on that, right? That's reality much, though. That's life, yeah. That's life. I mean, I'm very different than I was 20 years ago, than I was 40 years ago, than I was 50 years ago. I'm a very different person. When I started writing, I was 29 years old when I wrote my first book. Actually, when I got my first book published, I wrote my first book, I was 22 years old. <laughs> 21 years old, almost 22 um, it's, yeah, that, that's life. And that's why I think people say, aren't you tired of the characters? No, because they're changing. They're all changing. And I love it. Yeah. And you, you say that with Dritz. And I, I was just talking with Victor Bavine, who is the voice of Dritz on Audible. And he's doing, he's recording the Tao of Dritz right now. And he says, it's so different reading all of the essays back to back because the Tao of Dritz's are all the essays from Homeland through next year's book Hmm. in Way of the Drought. I wrote the essays early to get them in there. And he's reading them and he goes, this is like a completely different journey than reading them in the books. And he's really enjoying it. And that's what I found when I was started putting the book together, you know, finding all the old (laughs) <laughs> whatever format the files were in and trying to make them all match in the right format so we could get it typeset and stuff with HarperCollins. And I was, I was reading through the essays and I'm like, wow, what a journey this has been. That's yeah. amazing. Cause you wrote those without thinking like, well, one day they'll all be, or maybe you did think about them being compiled into one. Oh no, God, but, no. The so, only reason I wrote those is because after I had done the, the Icewind Dale trilogy and they didn't have them in the original books, I added those yeah. to the Icewind Dale trilogy later when it became, oh. I think it was when the Science Fiction Book Club did the, um, the, the omnibus version. And what happened was when they said, well, let's go back and do the, where he came from. I, was, I had just read um, Chronicles of Amber, Roger's last, uh, wow. Roger Lasney, right? Mm-hmm. Virig Amber. It's a classic science fiction series. It's good stuff. And it, it's the, Zelazny does the best first person I've ever read in my life. His mm-hmm. first, the whole books are in first person, but they're fantastic. And that's really hard to pull off. And I thought, I want to write these books first person because I'm going back, right? So I was going to write them first person. And then I, as I started into Homeland, I, I realized but I like battle scenes and I like battle scenes with a lot of moving parts in different places. You can't do that first person. If I'm doing a first person, Dritz can't be describing what's happening to Regis and Bruner over there, right? Because he's got a guy in his face. So 
I compromised. And it's not just through essays. It's beginning each part of each section of the book instead. And that's where they came from. But no, I didn't know. I, when I wrote The Crystal Shot, I thought, okay, I did it. I got published. Now I'm done. <laughs> now hand me my sports car. I was my- working in finance. <laughs> yeah, right. On the $2,000 they paid me for the book. Yeah, that's a sports car. And Matchbox. <laughs> it's your first down payment of your split share of the catamaran in 1979. <laughs> yeah? No? Mm, no, I didn't do it. First of all, it was 1988. I'm just thinking 1979 prices. I'm sure. <clears throat> no, I didn't do the BVIs till after 2000. So there. Okay. Well, I can't wait for Dow of Drisk because I think that's yeah. such an interesting journey, right? Seeing from first person of his experiences, what it's all gone through and how it is. I mean, are you doing it chronologically or are you doing it by, by, they did it uh, by book. They did it by book. They followed by, by book. Just okay. from Homeland all the way through next year's way of the drought book three. That's so interesting to see mm-hmm. that character. Cause it, you're right. The characters are, I mean, your novels are all third person. It's all very much more like an epic fantasy in that way. But like having this character's perspective, almost like journal entries uh, in one volume. It's a, uh, it's, it's, it's a journal. It, yeah. And it's a very high quality book. They're doing it like a journal. I love that. And my favorite yes. part of it is the forward. The guy who did the forward brought tears to my eyes. So, Aww. and I'm not going to say anymore because we haven't re- revealed it yet. But it was I think very it's, cool. it's on your website. I mean, the person who wrote it isn't. Oh, Evan Winter. Yeah, yeah. But they haven't they haven't put the forward out there. I want them to let me put the forward out there on its own. Oh, mm. like on the web and stuff, just because it's that. It, it really is the type of thing you hear as an author and you said, you say, you know, I, I did okay. Aww. I did okay. Yourself on the back there. I know. That's, nice. that's really sweet. And I'd well, love someone it. Someone else patting you on the back. That's better. Yeah, <laughs> yourself on the exactly. back. <laughs> well, I love that you're the narrator is embodying Dritz and like not, not just reading the words on the page, but actually like really feeling that journey. And Oh, Victor and like, I are like, that's amazing. Victor and I are like on the same page. It's amazing how we, like he, he when Dritz, in one of the books, Dritz did the monk thing and he kind of transcended his form. Victor got in touch with me and he's like, where'd you come up with this? <laughs> and it, no, it was like, because he, he had read, studied some things similar. Oh, wow. And we, we've had, Victor and I have had the best conversations. He is such an incredible guy. That's yeah. Great. What a great he, person and to embody. I mean, his yeah. card says the voice of Dritz, which I think is the best thing ever. So, <laughs> and he you, is. He's the voice of Dritz now. When you're writing Dritz, do you hear Victor's voice in your head when you're no, writing it? No, no, no. No, Victor doesn't have a New England accent, which Dritz does. <laughs> I knew it. That's how I've always read him. I do hear your voice. I do hear so. your voice now, too. Yes. <laughs> He has a New England accent. It's canon. It's canon. I just finished finished the next Demon War book and the new Demon War series. It's a pirate book. And they all say, ah, instead of arg. (laughs) (laughs) I know ours. Yeah. Ag. Ag. Nice. It's a pack the boat. (laughs) (laughs) The crystal shad. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So speaking of pirates and packing the boat. All right. What do you think about Spelljammer? Is this exciting to you that... Nod your head, Bob. Okay. <laughs> You're talking about things that I haven't even Pirates, heard of. Pirates, Spelljammer, ships. Oh, yeah, ships. that's that weird space? stuff going through the, yeah. Yeah. Are you getting You're any- working on that? 
I mean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I knew. It's coming um, out next month. You know, I, I'm, I'm, uh, is it really? Congratulations. Yeah. I mean, uh, I didn't, just to be clear, I'm, I don't do any of the game design. <laughs> just in case despite my dad's, what your dad says. Just despite what my dad tries to tell people. No. You just run the company. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I just say, give you, me more pirates in space. And you then quit they, after they you bring created, me Spelljammer. You, you, you quit <laughs> doing the game design after you created Magic, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So right. What more do you want from me? What more do you want? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the help, Richard and Peter. Uh, go your own under, way. <laughs> un, under my pen name, R- Richard Garfield. Yeah, yeah there you go. Another Fleetwood Mac <laughs> reference there, too. No, I'm doing... Um, I'm doing... Uh, I'm, I'm really getting into 5e, finally. Uh, we've been playing for a couple of years, but I've really been getting into it more now. Um, I'm finding 5e is a very DM-dependent game. Mm. You need to have the right DM to make ah. it really sing. It's a, it's a great, great game. I love 5e. But if you have the right DM who can do the right narrative to go with it, so there's less math, if you will, do I throw this, you know, reduction of damage on this guy on this one, or do I wait for that swing? Get away from the math, of, and you get more into the narrative with five E. The game really sinks. I think you're right. I think you're right there. I think mean, that was true of fourth uh, as well. But like, it really comes to the forefront when you have fourth. You needed it. If you didn't have that with fourth, you were playing a card game. Yeah, exactly. And then I think with with uh, with this current generation, it's so much more about like the story, right? The role play, yeah. the stuff that 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 really gets everybody's wheels going. And then you have some mechanics there when you want to resolve something, or 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 you have a player who wants to do some more tactical stuff. I think. You're, well, you're I mean, a lot of the right players there. can. Well, I guess what I'm getting at, the reason I'm saying it is, a lot of the players can do the same things, but they do it differently to get the same ends. Mm. So if if you're doing it differently. If you're doing the same things and it's just a number, then it's like everybody's doing the same things. But if it's if the narrative goes with it and it's like the spirit bears of the barbarian are reducing your damage, right? He's kind of catching you with his arms of his spirit bear. bear. It just becomes such a bigger experience. Um, yeah. Yeah. Are I'll be you going s- back. This uh, we got one more campaign to go. Then I'm going back to Demon Wars. I'm going to run a Demon Wars game again. I love Demon Wars. But are you still playing D&D with the same group on a regular uh, it, basis? It always shifts a little bit, but like one guy's been in there since 1989. What? Uh, and my nephew DJ took over for my brother. He's been in it for 25 years. He came in with my brother and he's he's got Gary's permanent seat at the table. Now that Gary's gone. And um, another guy started in 1989 as well as friend of Jimmy, Jimmy's friend, Jimmy. If two uh, Jim- and uh, Gino plays, my son Gino, and Brian just moved back here. And Brian and my grandson, Julian, now is playing. <gasps> oh, I was going to ask if any of the grandkids have started. Julian's the only, the only one old enough for D&D. How old is Julian now? 12. Okay, perfect. perfect. Yes. Oh, yes. He's, he's an amazing player. I mean, his dad's a game designer. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. But Julian, he plays. He played a, a gnome who had been polymorphed into a cobalt artificer, and he was an artificer, and he was just doing the craziest stuff in my game. We had so much fun. Kids are the best. Yep. Kids, kids in D&D, the things the that they come up with. Yep. My sons are still traumatized by the owl bear in the Caves of Chaos when I introduced them to D&D. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
I did everything I could to tell them, don't go in that little cave. Just don't do it. They went in there and they met an owl bear. They're still traumatized uh, to this day. What happened? Of course, it didn't help that I drew a picture of an owl bear and I hung it over their beds in secret at night. So that's it. And they woke up. I turned what, the light on. At night. What did this owl bear do to your children? <laughs> Killed their characters horribly and quickly. Oh no! Do they are so anytime an First owl bear characters ran comes into up, an owl bear. Well, they're kids. Came out as pellets. Would you, I would be end. excited to meet an owl bear. Mm. Yeah, give it a hug. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wonder what they think of the movie trailer. If they have some <laughs> residual owl bear trauma, it, I'm just staying away from it until it comes up because all I hear is is Tritz in it? Is Tritz in it? There's a lot no. Of that's the answer. <laughs> but Drist is in uh, Glazer's Edge and Dow of Drist. Uh, <laughs> is Dow of Drist. He is. It is. He's not just in it. He is it. He is it. It's his book. It's his okay. journal. And so what are the release dates for Glacier's Edge and Dow of Drist? Glacier's Edge is August 9th. Okay. That sounds right. It's that sounds right. Yeah. Hold on. Let me look at my, let me look at my trusty calendar. If you don't That's know, July. you can, you can go figure August. it out. August okay. 9th is, Dow, is uh, Glacier's Edge. All right. Dow of Dritz is, I think, I'm, it's either the 13th or the 20th of September. Of September. Okay. okay, so soon. Yeah, it's a month later. Yeah. Well, oh. I just love promoting your website because it's got the best name of any <laughs> website yes. ever created. Yes, by and they're, both, they're both up for pre-order now at, at the website, so go for it. <laughs> What's the name of the website again, just so folks can hear it in your accent? <laughs> RASalvastore.com. <laughs> it's so but good. not to be confused with RASalvatore.com, which you is also, also get the your books website. There. You yes. can get the books at either one. Pre-order, get them signed, get them personalized. But the Salvastore. Really well, Diane was starting a store. It was when I did the Kickstarter. I remember. Wars. And Diane, I said, you know, Diane, if you have a store that we can sell the excess books from the Kickstarter, that'd be pretty cool. She's like, yeah, I've been wanting to do that. It sounds like fun. So she put the store together and like, what are we going to call this? And I'm the one that said, I already solve a store, of course. <laughs> and they all went, oh, shut up, dad joke. <laughs> the kids and Diane all groaned and then they used it because I win. Yeah. I didn't make them use it. They just realized that. You just put it out there and they let them. They just realized there was a moment of let inspiration. Let them run with it. It yes. wasn't just a dad joke. No, it's Those brilliant. editors, those, they don't know about names. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they could go full circle here. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. So you can get both books there signed. Signed, personalized. By you. Dear Shelly, happy birthday. All right, Salvador. <laughs> No, I'm serious. That's what I do. I, I get a lot of merit. Christmas is our busiest time. People because sure. you can buy all the books at Ari Salvo store and get them signed and personalized. People love it for Christmas gifts. Yeah. What are we gonna get so and so? That's an book. amazing gift. To him. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. There you are. Yeah. I'm looking at the website right now. Um, Great. with a picture of you signing those books. And a, there you go. And a couple of bottles of wine in the picture as well. I appreciate. I don't that. sign them drinking. It would be bad. <laughs> they look like they are still corked. So. Sometimes you really got to be quick on your feet when you're signing books because of what people said they want you to say, and you realize I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, typically also, it's guys who are getting a book for their their girlfriend or wife or vice versa, mm-hmm. and so they think they're acting like they're signing it. So oh. it's like. 
dear Emily, you're the love of my life. I can't write that. Right. You are the love, love of Salvatore. Tim's life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but the thing is, all, the, all you got to do if you want to, and I'll, I'll tell this to anyone who's thinking about it because I don't know what to put in the book. Don't put anything. Just say to someone, to you or to whoever it's for. I'll come up with something to put in the book. Oh. You're a writer. Yes. Now a lot of people want scimitars hot. <laughs> to John, scimitars high. I already saw the <laughs> I thought you said scimitars are hot. Scimitars high. Oh, high. <laughs> I heard hot, which also maybe you can use that too. Yeah. <laughs> and then draw okay, a little picture of Drist. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, we're into fanfic now. <laughs> <laughs> There's none of that on the interwebs. None of it. None. Zero. None at all. Charles Axel and Trury aren't really lovers. <laughs> <laughs> I ship them. <laughs> Some of the best fanfic I've ever seen. It's good. Uh, I love that it. That is amazing. Always fun to chat with you, Bob. Uh, love all this stuff. And I can't wait to, to see you in person again, hopefully on, uh, on one of your, your visits. Yeah, yeah, you'll probably be there. Shelly won't. Mm. No, she never no, is. She just, while we were on the phone, she was booking her flights to get the hell out of there. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. I Uh-oh. literally just booked it. Yep. That and a catamaran got booked on this conversation. <laughs> Lots of travel. But here's <laughs> the thing COVID is hopefully in its death throes, although you never know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and the licensing meetings will start up again. Mm. There's a lot going on with Fritz these days. Um, I'm doing a lot of work outside the books with Wizards and Hasbro. So I do expect to start coming up there again on a fairly regular basis, I hope. All right. Because I miss the place. I come out of there. When I go up to Wizards, I always leave there ready to go write five books. And I do. (laughs) It's weird. When I leave the offices, I'm ready to come home and drink five glasses of wine. And I do. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, visit visit my desk because I have lots of, there's like t-shirts and other swag items. Oh, I'll there. leave you notes. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, you don't. Scimitar's hot. That's <laughs> <laughs> Greg, remind me of that. I'm writing that down. Guys, that is the name of my new fanfic trilogy. In, in Sharpie on her desk. <laughs> do it. Love it. Proud, Love proud it. of it. Proud of it. Awesome. Well, thanks, Bob. Oh. Say hi to everybody. It was great to see Diane. Uh, and uh, yeah, enjoy your you wine. guys be well. I know you are. You're looking great, both of you. You too. And by the way, both of you, congratulations on the book. That was quite a good read. Oh, thanks. Oh, Bob. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for reading it. Welcome it to Dragon Talk coming out later this year in mm-hmm. December. So very excited. Coming thanks out for reading it. December of yeah. this year? Yeah. Christmas book? Yep. We don't want to compete with with all your books coming out. <laughs> they moved us out of, your, out of <laughs> the window. They just kept having to change the month. Oh, my God. He's got another book and another. <sighs> all right, Bob. Thank you so much, as always. Thanks for having me, as always. It's good to see Diane for a brief second. We miss yeah. you guys. I feel the same way. But soon. We'll see some of you soon, and the rest of you will see other times. <laughs> other times. Awesome. Okay. All right. Thanks, Bob. Good night, Bob. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs> Always great talking to Bob. What a wonderful dude. I miss, uh, I can't believe you won't be able to see him in the, in the, in the flesh, but uh, no. we'll, we'll make it happen on our, uh, our, our 
British Virgin Islands trip. Oh, yeah. We'll have plenty of quality time as we're sailing around or looking for our catamaran, as it Looking for out. our catamaran <laughs> and, and the guitar-playing bards oh, nearby. I, Bob's literally the best. The best. Yeah. Love him. Thanks so much for coming on, Bob. And uh, check out the R.A. Salvador. Please. For no just, other reason than to just say that's a website that's real. Yes. That and all joke made real. <laughs> See? it's That is... Uh, good inspiration for all you dads out there. Yeah. When you make those silly jokes, <laughs> it could actually turn into something. Also, yes, great idea for your your fantasy-loving friend to get him a signed book yeah, by right? Bob Salvatore. That's kind of awesome. It is pretty cool. And I love that the Tao of Drist is something that is more, you know, it, you don't need to necessarily have the decades of knowledge of Drist. You can kind of get that character... Um, in in short snippets in those essays, and they're pretty introspective. They're really interesting. They really think about the thoughtfulness of life and creation and and faith and all those things. So that's gonna be really fun. It is very much yeah. cool. All righty. Well, well, we need to come up with a uh, store for uh, when we write books together. Like the Greg Tito tour store doesn't really. <laughs> doesn't, the Shelley store the shop. Maza uh, Noble, Maza Story, mon, mon, Money Noble. Can we just mm. use your dad's website? <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> Does he sell flooring direct to consumers online? Uh, he, yeah. I'm like, what's weird about buying your hardwood floors and a book about Dungeons and Dragons at the same time? <laughs> nothing. Nothing is weird about that. By the, the way, he's literally out of control, and we need to <laughs> stop him. Yeah. Because every day, every day it's a new, like, I wore my shirt again and started spreading rumors about what you'd actually do at Wizards of the Coast. Let's invite him uh, when, uh, when and if he retires from, from flooring uh, to join our enclave of Dungeon Masters here in Seattle that teaches I, kids. I mean, maybe he's ready for a game because he's seems like he's getting very obsessed with Dungeons and Dragons yeah. and, and talking about it and he, and talking about how he was on a podcast about Dungeons and Dragons. See? I, so, all the celebrity we need is uh, is wrapped up in him and he can even make an entire you know Yankees baseball themed monster uh yes that can, that can or a character or character yeah 99th level Aaron Judge I'm I'm seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you want to find out about everything going on with Dungeons and Dragons, you know how to find it. It's on the D&D website. It's at D&D Beyond. It's uh, on our social media followings at Wizards underscore D&D on Twitter, all of the above. If you want to find out about us, I'm at Greg Tito on Twitter, Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. I'm shooting a movie at the end of this month uh, in August. Oh, Very excited about that. just a little something. In LA. It's called Ex-Husband. We're looking for... A little bit of uh, uh, finishing funds for that. If so, if someone has any tax-deductible reasons to want to donate <laughs> to a project of mine, feel free to go ahead and do that. You can do that on uh, ex-husband film on Twitter or just follow me on Twitter and, and uh, you'll see some links about the shooting of that. we got some really good casting going I on. I was just going to say, I know you can't say who, but the casting is very exciting. Yeah, I can't wait uh, to talk more about that, but it's a, it's a real thing that's happening. It's okay. a real thing. So proud of you. Um, I, I'm Shelly Moo at, on Twitter and Instagram. And, you know, just just go there and see some Bachelor recaps or whatever. <laughs> it's actually not true. I haven't, I haven't, haven't even watched any. I haven't watched the season yet. 
it's just lingering in my DVR. I don't know why I'm just not, I don't know. I got a lot of housewives to watch, so. I will reserve my, the criticism. That I know, I saw it. Eyes. I saw it on your face, Greg. <laughs> I, I, Words I aren't necessary. Words are very unnecessary. <laughs> when your eyes look scary. Oh, God. Oh, there's a kid. There's a kid. Yeah. Um, well, I would like to journey to the Radiant Citadel if you have some time. All right, then. So, Drunky Two Shoes, Literal Silverhand says that is where her divination spells have determined her emergency spell sent Daryl. Daryl Two Shoes is uh, in, on the ethereal plane in an area. They don't know much about it. It's something that they have, uh, uh, Laryl ha- has. Um, very little information on, but it exists on another plane. But she says she might be able to use the last of her spell components that she has uh, in her tower to send you there. Um, I really appreciate you doing this. I just would like to understand um, when I find him, how do I come back? That is something that you need to understand. I, as a very powerful uh, wizard... Uh, yes. I am able to send you there, but you may have to inquire and find assistance from those who reside on the Radiant Citadel in order to send you back. Okay. It's a risk, I understand, but you implored uh, me to find out where your brother was. Uh, yes. And this is the only solution I am able to offer at this time. And I, I appreciate it. So I am ready. I'm ready to go to the Radiant Citadel. Now... There, I'm, I'm glad, but I just had uh, one thought. If you are yes. interested, yes. You, we can delay your departure uh, and you will allow me and my scribes time to acquire more spell components. Perhaps you could assist with that and I could create a scroll uh, of the spell that sent you and your brother to the Radiant Citadel. And then you would just have to find a spellcaster uh, who is capable of uh, such powerful magics to send you back, but it would delay your departure. I mean, that seems almost harder than finding just, I don't know, like, how, do, how what if I can't find a powerful spellcaster? Mm. Well, you would need powerful magics uh, in order to uh, <sighs> to travel back to this plane, if that is your how, wish. how long? How long would it delay? I, I'm just getting worried about Daryl. Um, uh, she, you see her kind of mind work, uh, faster, but you know, not, uh, there's a little bit of a delay as her eyes kind of like twitch and go back. And then she said, it would take, uh, nine days, uh, for us to create such a scroll. I appreciate it, but I think I have to go now. I understand. Thank you. The love and concern you have for your sibling is touching to my heart. Oh, when I find him. I'm going to whoop his ass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she doesn't quite laugh that loud, but she does, in fact, uh, emit a chuckle. <laughs> Just like when we were kittens. I was a sister once. I understand. Hmm. Thank you. And so in honor of our siblings, uh, I am ready to perform this ritual now. Do you want to come with me? Unfortunately, my duties as the open lord of Waterdeep prevent me from traveling to the ethereal plane on quite a jaunt, but I will let you know in the split second that I was tempted. Oh, that means a lot to me. A noble soul, despite your brashness. Wow. I thank you. If I make my way back to Waterdeep, do you think like 
we could have lunch or something. I'd like that. Uh, if nothing else, than to hear of your adventures on this I, radiant citadel. Hopefully, I, with your I brother treat. in tow. I hope so. All right. Okay. We shall perform this ritual now. All right. Clear your mind. Oh. Uh, and she begins chanting uh, in a uh, voice that's a little bit different from what you heard. Her magical voice, it's like deeper and, and uh, starts to reverberate uh, out a little bit more. And you see um, arcane shapes and symbols kind of emanate out uh, from her hands as she's gesturing and making all the somatic gestures uh, for this spell. She opens up uh, a book uh, in front of her and her assistants uh, do the same and they start adding their voices to the spell and a big purple glow starts to emanate the room all around you. You're not really sure where it's coming from necessarily but just the 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 purple light is everywhere uh, and almost as uh, the voices of everyone kind of reach a crescendo you're like you're not even really understanding that, that there's different words the sounds all start to run together and the purple glow uh becomes so bright that you almost have to shield your eyes uh, uh because of the pain and then it all goes away and you find yourself in a very oh. lush city full of vegetation green uh, there's bustling um, uh, commerce, people walking, people of all different shapes, sizes, colors. Uh, you see a, a creature that looks like it's made uh, completely out of crystal walk by. Uh, and as you, as you note that, uh, you see a huge shard of uh, amethyst-colored mm. uh, um, crystal shooting up from the center of this, this major city. And gorgeous. You show up and you're just there. Amazing. Uh, am I? Does anyone notice me? Just pop up here. Um, a, a few do, uh, but they don't make too much of a, a note of it. They kind of just glance in your direction. Uh, one a woman who has a very wide brimmed hat um, that is yellow. Uh, she kind of just like tips her hat a little bit in your direction oh. and then continues walking. Uh, is there a, is there like a sign that says Radiant Citadel? <laughs> I could go get some help? Like a, um, maybe a brochure? Some of the um, uh, iconography and signs are of a language you don't, um, you don't immediately recognize. Uh, uh. There is one that says, uh, uh, that is written in common that you do see. What's uh, that? And it says uh, a Tap House. I guess that's a great place to start. I'm a little nervous, but very parched. All right, then. Well, we'll pick it up when you walk into uh, the tap house. All right. Sounds wonderful. All righty. Radio Thank Cinema, you. here we come. Oh, how fun is this? Or bus.